Thank you, Matt, for reading that. Um, hello, everyone. Good morning. My name is Tom, and if you haven't met me before, I'm one of the ministry interns here at Grace Point. And as we come to uh, God's Word today, let's pray together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your Word to us. We thank you that we get to freely access it and read it and study it. And so as we approach it this morning, we pray that you will be here with us by your Spirit. Ready our minds and soften our hearts and ready our hands to apply it to our lives. And we pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. I used to be obsessed with this video game called League of Legends. And it's one of the most popular games in the world. I'm sure you've heard of it. You, even know, you either know someone who plays it or you play it yourself. And there are over 150 million players all around the world. And I used to be obsessed with it. And back in high school, I used to play hours and hours every day in order to achieve a high rank. It was a place where I could prove myself, climb the ranks, and even make new friends. And in hindsight, I remember that this often crept into my family time. I would spend less time with my family and more time gaming. At my house, we would eat dinner together every day. And I remember there were many times where I would be in the middle of the game and my parents would yell, it's time for dinner. Or in Cantonese, sick fun. <laughs> but you know what I would say? I would tell them, to eat without me. To eat without me. I was obsessed with the video game. And in hindsight, I reflect, my parents would call me to eat dinner every single day. And it makes sense, right? Because our parents, they love us. My parents, they love me. They unconditionally serve me. And every single day after coming home from work, they would consistently prepare dinner for me. They would prepare dinner for me so that our family would eat together. I never realized this till I was older, but it was in these moments I failed to see the love of my parents. I failed to see their nurturing care. Parents are reliable, aren't they? Even now that I'm married, I know I can always go back home to have dinner. And that's similar to our passage today. The image of the trying God as a loving parent. And friends, today, what we see in Israel and even ourselves is that we have failed to see the love of God. The fallen condition of our hearts causes us to ignore the nurturing love of God. But the good news is, God still loves us even when we don't deserve it. He's utterly committed to us. He calls us to repentance and he promises to restore us. And so that's, the, that's what we're going to go through today. That's what we're going to explore and so a bit of context, over the last few weeks, we have seen the Lord's warning and promising that he will come in judgment. He will judge Israel for their idolatry. He will destroy Israel for their immorality and their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And we have seen that his wrath is severe. His judgments are devastating. Yet we know the triune God is also a God of grace and love. And so the challenge today is, how are we going to hold these two, two things together? The God of justice is also the God of love and tenderness. And so I have three points for today. 
The first point is the father who loves. The second is the father who disciplines. And the third is the father who restores. It's in your outlines. Uh, Please follow along. Let's have a look at point one, the father who loves. And so it's clear from our passage, God loves Israel. But notice the language and the image of God as a devoted parent. Check out how Hosea does that. Have a look at verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Have a look at verse 3. If it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. You see, God is saying that he cares for Israel. He loves them. He is the one who provides for them, who protects them, who guides them. Anyone who has ever lived in a house with a baby can easily picture this image. A father or a mother bending over a child, holding its arms up, laughing as a baby takes its first steps. In fact, just look around at the back of the hall, the babies, the cute toddlers running around. And here God is saying, that's how he feels about his people. These are images of love, of excitement. And we rejoice at even the thought of babies running around and making their first steps. It's heartwarming. Further, verse 4 adds, I led them with a cord of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek and I bent down to feed them. Do you feel that? Hosea sees a parent lifting a small child to the cheek, tenderly feeding him by hand, loving and gentle, encouraging with kindness. Again, Hosea is showing us that God is this kind of gentle, this kind of tenderness, this kind of loving. Such a depth of feeling, such tenderness that we see in Hosea's account. We see a loving and forgiving husband, a tender father, a gentle hand. And so church, Hosea wants us to see the enduring love of the father. I'll say that again. Hosea wants us to see the enduring love of the father. But notice in contrast, notice Israel. Have a look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the bowels and they burned incense to images. And then in verse 3, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. And so as the text clearly says, despite God's love, despite his tenderness, despite his kindness and gentleness, Israel has turned from the Lord. Verse 2 tells us that the more they were called, the more they went away and I want, you to focus, I want you to focus on this, is how God responds. Notice what God says. God says, it was I who took them into my arms. It was I who loved them. It was I who healed them. But they did not know it was Him. They did not know it was God who cares for them. They did not know it was God who loves them. You see, Israel's path has been one of unfaithfulness, one of neglect, one of turning away from the triune God. They have been hard-hearted and deliberately ignorant in the face of God's kindness. And you and I know that this is the pattern of 
Israel in the Old Testament. Israel constantly rejects God. Israel persistently disobeys God. God blesses them, but they continually turn away. You see, Hosea shows us that God is a devoted parent. He has sovereignly elected them. Yet Israel turns away from God's call. And instead they turn to other idols. And so church, listen closely. Hosea wants us to see that God's love endures for Israel even when they don't deserve it. God's love endures for Israel even when they don't deserve it. And so here's the tension. On one hand, we see God's tender, loving care. But on the other hand, we see Israel's rejection of him. On one hand, we see a father who goes all out for his son. But on the other hand, we see a disobedient son. And so what's going to happen with this tension? Is is God just going to uh, just be a tender and loving father? Is he just going to be run over and do nothing about it? Well, he isn't. Have a look at point two, the father who disciplines. Because what we see from verses 5 to 7 is that God does not get pushed around. In fact, God engages in severe discipline of his disobedient people. He says, they will not return to Egypt, but Assyria will rule over them because they refuse to repent. And then verse 6, a sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. And then verse 7, my people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. As we've seen over the last couple of weeks, God is, God is announcing through Hosea, enough is enough. As a loving father, God is going to bring about the severe discipline to his people. He is going to judge his people. He's going to judge Israel because he loves them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, if it's in your outlines, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And the point is that when God disciplines his children, he has a lie detector and he knows what the real deal is. He knows the difference between cries for a quick fix and cries for a heartfelt repentance. We see that in verse 7. God sees through crocodile tears. His love is real. His judgment is real. And he demands that our turning to him is real and truly from the heart. And so it's clear that Israel is guilty. Israel has sinned. And God's law demands death against sin. Especially towards his chosen people who know better. However, as God's wrath boils against sin, what we see is his compassion rises in tender warmth. You see, what is happening here is actually quite profound. The holy God, the divine king, is also feeling the tension that you and I are feeling. On one hand, God is just and holy, but on the other hand, we see his grace and mercy. 
we see his love and tenderness. Which is why in verse 8, it gives us insight into the heart of God. Verse 8 says, Oh, how can I give up Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? As a quick aside, these two cities refer to cities God destroyed back with Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. He destroyed them for their great wickedness. And again, what we see here is the heart of God. Because God asks, how can I do it? How can I give up Israel? Well, then the Lord declares. Have a look at verse 8. He says, my heart is changed within me. The ESV puts it more clearly. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And that's amazing language, isn't it? Even as God's justice calls for judgment over Israel's disobedience, verse 8 tells us the heart of God. It displays the heart of God. How can I judge Israel? God's love for Israel causes his heart to recoil at even the thought of disciplining his people. It's one of the most profound phrases in all of Hosea. Because this tension is almost palpable. What we see is God's love and his perfect justice seem to be pressing up against each other. But his heart, God's heart, it recoils at the thought of even judging his own people. Church, we all understand this tension to some extent. When someone you love, maybe it's your kids, when someone you love requires discipline, even severe discipline, there's a manner of which your heart recoils. In the sense of when, it's, when, it's, uh, when it hurts to do what is right. To rebuke a friend, to correct a sibling, to discipline a child. Friends, God, God's love endures even when we don't deserve it. Even in the face of judgment and discipline, we see the triune God who has a compassionate heart. We see the triune God who has a compassionate heart for his people. And so this tension is met with verse 9. And what we see is God's grace. We see God's grace and tenderness overflowing. We see Israel finding a hope in the face of judgment. We see God the Father promising to restore. Have a look at point three, the Father who restores. Picking it up from verse 9. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Let's pause for a second and consider, what what does that mean? What about everything everything God said about judgment earlier? What about judgment and wrath over the last couple weeks? Well, what I want to say is that Israel certainly doesn't get off scot-free. The question is not whether Israel would be judged, but the question is how severely. 
there are still real consequences for sin and disobedience. And the question is, how severely will Israel be judged? Is God going to strike them down and eradicate them like Sodom and Gomorrah? Like Adma and Zeboim? Well, no. We know that he does not wipe out Israel. Not like Adma and Zeboim. Even in judgment, the text says his compassion grows warm and tender. So his judgment is not their utter destruction. His wrath here is not all-consuming. But even in judgment, fatherly love and anger leads to hope. The judgment is not ultimate. God will not give up on his people. God is honoring his promise back in Leviticus 26, which says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. God resolves this tension of his inner conflict where God's grace wins out over his justice. He says that he won't destroy them in verse 9. And we see that God's judgment is not ultimate. His love is overflowing. He will not give up on his people even when they deserve it. And so this story drives us towards seeing the triune and living God, who in his grace and mercy promises restoration and salvation. You see, God ultimately in his love and his compassion, in his judgment and in his discipline, led to the restoration of Israel. The Lord's fatherly love leads him to fatherly discipline. And through that discipline comes restoration. Let's pick it up from verse 10 and it says, They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. You see, even in the midst of discipline and judgment, the Lord ultimately does not give up on his people. He does not hand them over to destruction. But what we see is that God breaks down so that he might build up. He scatters so that he might gather. He takes life so that he might give life. And that's where Israel finds her hope. This is the hope of every believer. This is the hope that all who trust in the triune God. And it's a striking image of holy restoration. And it is found in this profound image of a lion. And when you think of a lion, you're thinking probably about the lion back in chapter 5. right? Chapter 5 verse 14 which says, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them away to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue. The Lord is a powerful lion and his prey are helpless before him. And that's the same image of a powerful lion today in our passage. But what we see is when this lion roars, the people listen. His children listen. I think C.S. Lewis captures this imagery so vividly in his Narnia novels, in which the lion Aslan When he roars, everyone listens. His mighty will is done. Israel will come back trembling like sparrows and fluttering like doves. God's grace calls out to his people. 
and they will return to him and be restored. God will return them to their homes like doves, but that raises the question of when. When will he do this? Because it's obviously not in our passage today. Because if you look at verse 12, Israel clearly didn't change. Have a look at verse 12. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. We find out that Israel is still a rotten and sinful people. They are still filled with lies and deceit. And so, when will God restore his people? In fact, why does God love Israel so much? Because they don't even deserve it. Well, church, it's simply because he chooses to. Why does he show grace to Israel time and time again? Why does his heart break for them? Why does he call them to himself? Why does he restore, heal, and save them? Well, it's simply because he chooses to, even when they don't deserve it. Our God is a tender God, a God of fatherly love, a God of grace, a God of sovereign, who has sovereignly set his affections on us, who has freely entered into covenant with us in order that he would exercise his own will to be faithful to save. Because that's who he is. And then this is the awesome complexity and the depth of the God that we worship. He is tender in fatherly love. He is severe in discipline, compassion even, even within judgment. And he is at work to bring about the ultimate and utterly undeserving restoration of an undeserving people. This is what we must seek to maintain in our hearts and minds as we hold all these things together, this rich, awesome understanding of God. And so the question of when, when will restoration come? Well, we know the greatest expression of love and compassion is in His Son. We know ultimately that the greatest expression is through His Son, Jesus Christ. When we think of the tension between love and judgment, more than anywhere else in the Bible, we see that when it comes comes together, it comes in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2 tells us that Jesus is the true Israel. He is God's true Son. And it is in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who achieved our salvation by taking the full penalty of sin, even when we rejected Him. He took our place on the cross. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, declares that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And yet it is at that cross we also see the greatest display of compassion. It's the greatest display of tenderness that the world has ever known. For on the cross, Christ God the Father pours out his wrath and his judgment against the sin of all his people, and it is full and it is complete. There is actually, there's nothing held back. Yet it is in this outpouring of judgment on his Son that we get God's compassion to us. The tenderness is most fully seen in Jesus, who bears the wrath that should have fallen on us. 
but it is in the tenderness he bears that for us in our place so that now we can draw close to him. He calls the people of God to himself. He extends invitation of compassion and tenderness for he has endured judgment and he can call people of all nations to repentance and faith and ultimately true restoration as people of God in Christ. And so the Lord's fatherly compassion and love leads him to fatherly discipline. And through that discipline comes the cross of restoration. Church, the good news is that God still loves us even when we don't deserve it. He's utterly committed to us and he calls us to repentance and restoration. And so Israel experiences, their experiences teaches us that we need to recognize God's love, especially when he disciplines us, especially in light of his judgment. And so the first point of application is, in what in what area of your life have you ignored or overlooked God's love? In what area of life have you ignored or overlooked God's love? If we are anything like Israel who were blind and disobedient to their idolatry, we too are often blind and undeserving of the love of God. We often forget who God is. We replace God with other areas of our life. And so it's no surprise that we often forget God is a God of tenderness and compassion. We forget that God is, but we also forget that God is also a God of judgment and wrath and justice. So what I want you to do is to identify where and how have you overlooked or ignored God. And to repent and to turn back into his arms. That's the first point of application. In what areas of your life have you ignored or overlooked God's love? And then lastly, what is holding you back from fully embracing the love of God? What is holding you back from fully embracing the love of God? I don't know about you, but maybe there are past hurts. Maybe there are certain sins. Maybe there are barriers that are stopping you from embrace, fully embracing the love of God. Maybe because you fear vulnerability or maybe you have this lingering thought that you don't need Him. What I'm trying to suggest is that these things obscure our vision. These things hinder our steps. They mute the whisper of God's love that continually cause us to turn back to him. You see, the grace of the gospel is calling you to turn back to the Father's love. The work in the person of Jesus is sufficient to save, no matter what you bring. What is holding you back from fully embracing God's love? Because church, the good news is that God's love is overflowing. He loves you so much, even when you don't deserve it. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a great God and you are beyond all telling. Your compassion and grace is greater than we can imagine. Your justice and severity more awesome than we can consider. 
And all of that finds full and complete expression in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so would you bless us now with grace to believe in you, to follow you, and to know you as our God and Father, and to embrace your love and to delight in you with joy. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.